This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, Mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tune Shuffle. I haven't seen you in so long. It's been too long, man. It's just, this is how it is, man. Years go by. <laughs> Your kids yeah, are yeah. almost in college. Right? No, not a few more years before that. Okay. <laughs> good, Thanks good. for having me on. Hi, Maggie. Hi, so happy to meet you, Steve. What's going on? I love how it's right? been so long, but you guys are like, let's uh, let's meet up in quarantine. Let's let's do that. <laughs> That's the only way we can get together, you know? I know. <laughs> well, I... I don't remember the last time we had a, a, a reunion that that was not only you know sort of heartfelt, but it was attributed to uh, you know a, a major uh, incident. It was nine eleven. That's the last time really? you guys spent time together. No. What, what, what wasn't that the the the, uh, the precedent for Roach Coach? Oh yes, yes, that's we, right. I met Steve in the business, okay. just for clarification. He's like, doing the air quotes totally, on the business, okay. Uh, Steve was, uh, you were producing at Comedy Central, right, when we met? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was writing and producing there. Writing and producing at Comedy Central in Manhattan, New York City, the Big Apple. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I got my first break, like really big break from Steve uh, wow. as part of the uh, the Comedy Central think tank where you know, these grungy, like unpolished comedians, many of whom went on to have great careers or decent careers or careers in general, some very huge careers, got to go to Comedy Central and work for a couple of weeks in a think tank just coming up with funny stuff. And you were you were a part of that, like a, a, a big part of well, that. Well, uh, if I might correct you, it was actually my wife, Monique Hart, who... Um, had you come on to the think tank yeah that's right that's right and uh and so she was the one who got all these different um uh comedians in on board and uh there was a lot of talent there i mean david tell was there um the guy who ran the showrunner of veep i can't remember his name right now um um uh, todd berry there's just a a ton of people and we met that's how we met there because i was working in the i was working in promos writing and producing over on that side, um, which is a whole story I can get into when, or when we're rolling. <laughs> yeah. We're rolling now. Yeah, well, let's, we let's do it. So uh, the voice that you're hearing is our guest today, Steve Lava, Lava Pie. How do you say it? Because I want to say Lava Pies, but that's not it. Well, that's how it looks like. It's uh, Lava Pies. <laughs> Lava Pies. Oh, that's very, I want to say French, but I don't think that's it. It is actually. It's close to French. It's actually Spanish, but uh, I think if it were ended with a D instead of an S, it would be French. Got it. Got it. Well, I'm so glad that you're here, and it's cool that you and David are kind of reconnecting, and and you've done quite a lot in the industry as well with your hand in writing and producing and just working. It seems like mostly behind the scenes, but have had quite a heavy hand in the comedy world on TV. You know, that's uh, my, my passion has always been comedy. And uh, I tend to do reality shows and comedy reality shows. Yeah. So I've done, I've done a lot of uh, what we call clip shows, mm-hmm. um, like, uh, you know, sort of like on the model of America's Funniest Videos. I, I did the first season of Ridiculousness, which has um, been a huge hit from MTV. Yeah. Um, and a number of other shows that um, it's just, it's, it's like joke writing. It's fun. And it's, you know, you look, get to look at funny clips. It's like what you would do anyway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Ever had your hand in stand up? Did you ever try that? I never wanted to do stand up. I've, I've, I've been on stage. I've performed in, uh, I've done some sketch and in college I was doing, um, actually through high school, high school and college, I did sketch. I was in a performing arts group in college. Uh, it was an all-male group that goes back to, like, the 1800s. Um, and, um, there are guys was, from the 1800s in it? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, 
the uh, it was it was really um, it's really great. Most of my friends from my college are from the guys I met from there from that club, and uh, so I've I've done a lot of we did a lot of writing. We did a lot of um, you know they were like funny musicals, so we would do, we did a lot of that stuff. Shout so it out. I'm, what's the what's the group? What's the college? Oh yeah, so um, yeah, I'm used to. I do have some stage background. Um, it's called the Mask and Wig Club, and it was at the University of Pennsylvania, and it's still going strong. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's my my tightest bonds with my friends are from from that group, and I uh, learned a lot about writing, writing quickly, and um, performing, and um, performing you know topical humor, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it was a uh, it was a blast, you know, and that was one of the reasons that I did eventually decide to get into um, entertainment um, after I, after graduating, because I enjoyed it so much. And I figured, well, maybe what I can do is, you know, make a lot of people happy, you know, with one product or some, they didn't call it content back then, but you know, show or a film, you know? And uh, so that's kind of like been the driving force of my career. What was the major at UP? I, I can't remember. My major? Yeah. My major was psychology. So you majored in psychology. You graduated high school. You go off to college. Yep. And uh, the mask and wig club we talked about, but, you know, kind of in a kindred spirit, because I was in sketch comedy shows, and, and you referenced that. But let's dig into that just a little bit more. I mean, I didn't realize that was a... A, a group that dated back to the and that's like before even i would say what is it the lampoon right mm. i don't know how far back uh lampoon went um how did you was, get into this group what was is there a hazing process or a, a no, you, you know it's, it's it, you got you got to be able to sing and dance and and be funny and i could do two of those things <laughs> I, I could not i could not dance very well, but I, I did. I did manage to get myself in some chorus chorus lines and stuff. So, okay. but um, yeah, it goes way back. I think the uh, analogy at um, like at Harvard is uh, hasty pudding. Hasty pudding, uh, yeah, rather than lamp, rather than right. lamp. But it, but they they all go way back. Yeah. So um, I, I I didn't even think of, I was jotting down some notes about things to talk about. I never even thought about talking about this, but it is actually. <laughs> It has been a quite a report part of my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that was the springboard to to all of this, right? Because going into college, your your plan wasn't to go into the entertainment business, right? As a producer and director and writer right. and all the stuff that you've been doing now for your whole entire career. That was that was yeah. what happened in college. Is, right. there a, is there a show that stands out that uh, was maybe oh, the no. best experience you had with that? With with with, with Mask and Wade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, funny you should ask that. Um, there was a show that we did. It was in my senior year, and we there, there, we would do two shows. One was what we would call the alumni show, which was written by alumni for the most part. And so, and that would be the one that we would do, uh, like, I don't know, two or three months, uh, you know, performing Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights at our clubhouse down in, in Center City, Philadelphia. And then um, we would, uh, you know, that would run for you know a couple of months. And sometimes we would tour. We would do like I think we we did like an East a Midwestern tour when I was when I uh, one year. That is so and cool. uh, yeah, and it was it was a blast, you know, because um, you got to you got to go down, downtown and you know, you would do floor shows afterwards to entertain the people, that you know, the paying customers, a lot of alumni, but also people from around the city. And uh, you know, you got to wear tuxedos and stuff and run a tab at the bar. And so you felt like just like, you know, just a grown up, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. just a little, your old little shit, you know, yeah. <laughs> <You're just grown laughs> up. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was the alumni show. And then we would do a, a campus show, which was um, for the students. And that would, that was what was written by solely by the um, undergrads. So it was the undergraduate show. And, um, in my senior year, we did one, and we put, it was called Ring Job, and it was about a uh, it was about a circus and rival mobs dueling over a circus. It was really fun, and in fact, it got such a great response. It was the first time in quite in a, in a while that it was a book show, 
we could always done more variety review, you know, that kind of thing, a review show. And we did a book show and it's, it was, I was, I was one of the writers, but I wasn't one of the main writers on it. I mean, my friends, Jeff and Kenny were the ones who really were the, the inspiration and the, and the forces behind it. But it kind of set, set a standard because since then, all the, all the undergraduate classes afterwards wanted to do a book show, you know, and they wanted to keep doing that. Writing, you know, you guys know, writing sketch is really hard. Mm-hmm. Writing funny sketch is hard. Writing a funny book show is really close to impossible. For listeners who don't know what a book show is, what, what how how do you define a book show to? Uh, it's, a, it's a story. It's a it's a it's a it's a series of it's it's like a, you would see, um, like a musical. Like you would go to Broadway, uh, to the um, uh, you know, I guess that has a plot and um, all all the songs and the sketches tie into that plot. Right. As opposed to a review, which is just you know a sketch, song, sketch, song, you know. The Carol Burnett show was a was a review more than right. a book show. And, right, uh, right, yeah. right. Um, so uh, it, it was so successful that that you know that it kind of inspired a lot of people to continue doing that. And then we brought it back. Um, we had our twenty fifth reunion um, at, uh, at my college, and we got we we did the show again. Wow, um, you remember yeah, that? It was, wow. Yeah, and it was uh, it was a it was amazing because we basically you know, like we you know just this is like this was about a month before my daughters were born, so it goes back thirteen years, and they um, and we we distributed the scripts, we emailed them around, and we just like practiced them and kind of remember you know you kind of remember some of the stuff, but you don't remember all all the stuff, and then we just rehearsed like mad for like three days. And then put it on, wow. you know, a, a, sort of a truncated version of it. And uh, it was just a blast. And, and, you know, my wife had never seen me perform. And so she got a real kick out of it. So I've never, I've never seen you perform. And I, you know, I've known you for many years in many different sort of, you know, settings. Uh, I, I would love to see that. Is it, is, is it recorded? Or... Well, we're hoping to be, still be around for the 50th anniversary of it. So, you oh. know. Yeah, fingers <laughs> crossed on that one. Yeah. Well, cool. yeah, this is, I'm cool. Well, I'm so excited to get to know you better and through your music, that should be pretty easy. You've got an incredible Fave Five, so let's just jump right in now. Here is your song number one. Emotionally, why I connect with Cocteau Twins is um, because they were the sound of my life in New York. I, I lived wow. in New York for about 10 years mm-hmm. and um, I was turned on to them by a, uh, a girl that I worked with at one of the companies I worked with when I was in, in, in some time in the eighties. And she was really into it. And I was, when I first heard it, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, I've never heard anything like this. And I, I tended to be back in that, back in then I used to like to listen to like faster, high energy songs. And they were, that was not, Mm-mm. and, but it grabbed me. And so I just like eventually grabbed everything I could of theirs, you know, in the back in the old vinyl and CD days. And, you know, just they became like the sound, one of the soundtracks to my life in New York. Where did you grow up? Where where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Wheeling, West Virginia. In Wheeling, West Virginia, to the University of Pennsylvania, to New York, where our song number one is is (laughs) a feature song that, that that's New York for you. That's that. Yeah, that's, that it's one of the New York songs. There's there's a few other ones, but I was really into some kind of like a lot of post punk and goth and music. I, I didn't dress goth, but I like I like a lot of stuff like The Cure and Susie and that sort of thing. But where did, did you, you go to New York looking for the big lights and the big showbiz? Was that what yeah. drew? What what was your welcome to New York story? What does it? What what do you think <laughs> about those early days in New York City? Because I mean, it's like you can oh make, it, make it anywhere. I, I first moved to New York. I, I stayed for about a month in a buddy buddy's place in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Fort Lee. I slept on his couch, and then I've got a place in Astoria, in Queens. Mm-hmm. Queens. Yep. And I lived there for a couple of months. And then my friend Jeff, who I mentioned before, who, who was from Mask and Wig, he uh, moved in with me, and then we had we had a great time living um, living together in in this like roach infested apartment in Astoria. <laughs> they you know. they all are. Yeah, you were going to, you know, Astoria was, uh, is, I think still is, but was a big uh, 
Greek population. And I, was, I loved going into the delis and like, it wasn't just one kind of feta cheese. There was like 12 different kinds, you know, it was yeah. just... I grew up in New Jersey, but I lived in the Upper West Side for a little while. And oh, I found I found it so fascinating that like you could go because at that time there were no apps. It wasn't there was no MySpace. None of that existed yet. And so you could go to the grocery store and they'd be like, we'll deliver it for you. We, we'll take it to you. No problem. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, OK. OK, thanks. <laughs> like, yeah, right. What? Right. I mean, there, who wants to walk? Yeah. yeah. It was- it was great. Uh, I, was, I was impressed by the weed delivery when I went the to the weed delivery. <laughs> Everybody was sur- all of our mutual friends <laughs> circulating phone numbers of like guys that would deliver. I was just like, wow, this is <laughs> so easy. Yeah. Is this a trap? Is it a trap? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So yeah. And then, and then eventually I moved over to the Upper West side, which was great and lived there for a long time and, and uh, wound up, meet at comedy central meeting my uh future wife there and you know let's talk about that meet cute i'm excited uh yeah so uh at comedy central that's where i met earl and that's where i met my wife monique i knew a guy my friend kenny who was another one i mentioned from um mask and wig was working in promos there at comedy central he got me in he got me a job working on like sales tapes like ad 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 advertising and marketing tapes. So it was like, instead of being like a 30 second promo, they would be like, you know, 10 minute tapes. And you would, t- you know, you would put together all the different uh, clips from all the different shows that were on the network and write some, you know, kind of marketing copy to it. And then you get Penn Jillette, who was the voice of the uh, network then, you know, would, would do the VO voiceover. And, uh, you know, it was a blast, you know, it was, and it was, it was fun to do. So while I was working there in that department, I met Monique, who was an assistant in the development department. Mm. Uh, development is, you know, the one, I mean, you guys know what it is, but it's just like the department is always looking for new shows. Mm-hmm. They're the one pitches from the producers and the production companies. And But the unusual thing about Comedy Central in those days was that the development department was um, made up of, of ex- the executives were writers. They were, they, they had been comedy writers. Uh, the, um, the vice president of development, her name was Gloria, had been the head, had got her start on the uh, Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, Radio wow. Radio. Yeah. And, and Rhoda. And she was like, and Taxi and all those classic, classic sitcoms. And she made the move into the executive side at some point. And she wound up uh, running the comedy department in Paramount. And then she um, got a, came, moved to New York and uh, was running the development department in Comedy Central. So she wrote, Monique wrote, wrote and is, a, is still a very good writer. And my friend Kenny was then in, in the development department and, and he wrote too. So it was such a lean operation that the executives would also write material for, not necessarily for the shows, but for like interstitial material and that sort of thing, or come up with, because we, we, we had to do really cheap programming because there was no budget. So um, we were just throwing stuff on the air and just trying it out, you know, and it was really fun because that was like you, you uh, in Think Tank, you guys came up with a lot of those ideas, you know, like the, the Calvin Klein ads. Uh, remember when, you know, um, I think Todd Berry did those or somebody, you remember those? I did those. You did those. <laughs> I did those. those and I, yeah. And Marcy Klein, who is a, a big wig over at SNL, whose dad is Calvin Klein. Yes. Uh, yeah, slid it over to the New York Times, and that's my that was my first little blurb in the New York Times. Wow. Yeah, up to it was it was it was really such a fertile. You talk about lean. You know, it to me when I went in there, it seemed like okay, this is the big leagues, but you were kind of it, it, in it deeper enough, Steve, so that you were able to kind of see like, hey, we just had to run and gun. And everybody was kind of participating in this. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't so experienced. I mean, it was my first. It was my first job in. I wouldn't say it was my first job in comedy, but it was my first job at a network in comedy. So I knew it was. It was. It was a big deal for me too. And you, know? you yeah. dated someone that you worked with. That is insane. Yeah, like, well, that's brave. Move? Yeah. Why <laughs> are you like that? Or something like that? Did it start out rough? Well, what? Uh, uh, here's here's what happened. <laughs> I was working at a place at a post-production facility in the city and we, that edited commercials. And I, it was, it was, it was a, it was a um, numbers job. It was a management 
I was running the, I was running the small company and they lost, I did that for like a year and a half or two years and they lost their main client. And so when that happens, I mean, if you, you know, you lose, you're losing so much business that they wound up um, having to like let a lot of people go. Mm-hmm. So I, I was, I was at home just hanging out and Monique, who was Gloria's assistant at the time was coming home really late. And I knew that executives don't usually need to come home really late. They, 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 six o'clock, they're done, you know, and they're, mm-hmm. com- they're coming home. And she'd be coming home at 10 or 11 o'clock. And I said, well, what? at that point, we were living together. And I said, what is, what's the deal? Why do you have to stay there so late? She goes, oh, man, uh, you know, we were, try- we were trying to do these interstitial topical pieces to fill in in between our programming. And uh, we have a writer, and he just isn't really very good. I mean, he, you know, he'll, he'll, he doesn't write, he'll write the setups without, and then write joke TK, you know, which, which means joke to come and um, joke to come. Yeah. And you know, it's like, it's like a placeholder, but he would turn that in, you know? And I was like, well, we don't need the setup. We need the whole joke, you know, yeah. give us the punchline too. And so she would, he would have, she and Gloria would be up till 10, 11 o'clock trying to write those punchlines for these, for these jokes, you know? And they're like executives. I said, well, why don't, um, I'm not doing anything. Why can I try it? Because I've got some experience in writing some comedy. What can I come in? What would I do? Could I try? And she's like, oh, it's really hard. And I said, I got nothing else going on. So she asked Gloria and I had met Gloria, but I wasn't friends with her or anything. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, uh, Monique says, okay, here's the deal. Gloria said, you can come in and you can, you can try out. All right. And what you're going to do is you're going to come in the office and write a bunch of jokes and uh, show them to Gloria at the end of the day, and we'll see what she says. So basically, you walk in, and here's your cubicle. You sit down, and it's just stacks of newspapers and magazines because there was no internet, you know. Right. And that's how you used to write. That was that's where you got your material. Yeah. Right. right. That was that was so you had to go through all the papers and all that stuff. So I was writing, and Gloria rolled in like 11 o'clock and she saw me and she she just looked at me and laughed. She says, you have no shot. And I was like, okay, well, I'm here. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. And so I wrote a page of jokes. End of the day, I, I, I turned them into her and um, she's, she's like totally skeptical. And she read them. And as she's going through it, she goes, hey, these aren't bad. Uh, it was probably about a dozen jokes. And she bought, she says, I'm going to buy half of these. <gasps> wow. And I said, okay. And she goes, now, I understand that you, you've come from promos, so you can know how to produce, too. So can you go down down, down the hall to the edit bay and sit with our editor and put these in, you know, and produce them so they could go on the air? And it was basically just text and music and some um, graphics. And I said, yeah, I can do that. So I went down there and did that. That took a couple hours. And it, towards the end of editing, she comes, she pokes her head in and says, hey, Steve, um, I just fired our writer. I want to make you an offer. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was like, okay, that's how I got started, you know, working in a network, writing and producing comedy. You're like, you I know? did it one time. The pressure is on. <laughs> yeah. And it was, yeah. it was on. Here's the last, I mean, that was really amazing. And yeah. so I started, I was like working right the next day I was in, I had a job. And so um, about a month goes by and Monique kept it ha- intimating that like, you know, what you did was really hard. I mean, that was like really impossible what you did. I was like, ah, whatever, you know, you know, I, I didn't understand. So one day she came, she took me over and do you remember in the offices, they used to have these giant file cabinets, yeah. um, like you know, six feet wide. They're usually black and, you know, they're really heavy and you pull them out. And so she, she says, I want to show you something. She takes me to one of these filing cabinets and pulls out one of these drawers and it's just file after file documents have documents and she goes these are submissions to gloria for write for writers and then she closes it and she opens up the drawer below it and she says these are more submissions she rejected all these people wow and she hired you and at that and i was like gulp you were right <laughs> at that point i realized how hard it was what i did you know yeah, yeah. That, that was the golden day. Now you and the you. So you, we jumped the part where you, how you got hooked up with with Monique. Like you were just working together. And well, what happened was that I um I had met her my first go around. I was uh, when I when I had done promos at Comedy Central first. 
then that job, that's when I met her. And then, uh -huh. I, got the, then I got the job at the, at the um, post-production facility. And so I went off to another place. And it was during that, and it was during, and, and it was during that time that we started dating. So I wasn't, I had met her there, Come but on. I didn't start dating her there. But right. then when I came back to Comedy Central, then we were working in the same department. And sometimes our 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 stuff would, our you know, not our responsibilities, but you know, our projects would overlap. You know, the rest, as they say, is history. Oh, wow. oh yeah, New yeah. York. I love yeah, it. it was fun. It was really fun. Really lean and just a blast. Well, here we go. This is your song number two. Nothing's gonna change my world. Nothing's gonna change my world. Here's the song. Well, um, across the universe is um, the Beatles. If the you're Beatles. living under a rock and you don't know, yeah. And um, I'm 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 a Beatles fan, but I'm not like a crazy Beatles fan. I know a lot of stuff, and I and I feel good that I've got my girls to be really into the Beatles. They know better. They know the tracks on some of the albums, especially the early albums, better than I do. Wow. But Across the Universe, along with The Day in the Life, my two favorite Beatles songs. The poetry in Across the Universe is just amazing. I mean, it's basically, from what, I, from what I've heard, John's wife was mad at him and, and was, like, just kind of complaining to him and arguing with him. And he was just, like, lying, lying there thinking about, you know, um, the words just spilling out all around him. And, um, and then he has this, um, you know, this incredible melody. Um, so I've always had a soft spot for it. It always, it always, always thought it was one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Cut to the day my girls are born. I'm in the, um, I'm in the um, delivery room. I'm waiting for the, them to show up. <laughs> and, and the guy, the, 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 the doctors are listening to, the Beatles on the, you know, in, in, in the uh, room and what song comes on. Oh my God. Really? Lost the universe <laughs> when they are born. Wow. And I, and I, I just couldn't, I, I mean, it was like, how, what, it, what are the possibilities of that? You know, it's I mean, song, I would have been happy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't, I didn't Think of it. It was like I don't. I don't care. It was, if it was a Beatles song, I would have said, "Oh, that's great." But it was like across the universe, you know, and uh, it was just such a great sign. And I mean, and the girls know that story now too. So it's that it means something to them. Did so it's just like, fall apart at that moment. Did the did, did the Steve oh, Love emotions just flow? I, it was amazement. I mean, I was okay. you know I was so I was so worried about them coming out okay and what would they look like. And yeah. uh, that was that this so it was just part of it, but I noted it. I think I said something to somebody, and wow. but I mean, they had there were bigger fish, there was bigger things going on, you know. So it wasn't so. until like it wasn't until like you know 24 hours later where I processed it and fully went, Oh my gosh, this that was amazing coincidence, or somebody in the universe was trying to tell me something. Fans familiar with our show know that we have these things that Maggie, uh searches out called Y-Tunes Nuggets. Did you do a nugget on this particular song? This is a huge, amazing first song of the girls' lives. That's crazy. Yeah, the nugget is, is exactly what you said. He and his first wife, Cynthia, got into this big fight, and he was like, uh, I was just lying next to her, and I was really irritated, and I was so irritated that I had to get out of bed and just put all these words on paper, um, and he couldn't go back to sleep until he wrote it all out. Actually, this song also inspired Liam Gallagher from the band Oasis to start writing songs. So without this song, we would not have the band Oasis. Wow. So I'm glad I got my story right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you did. You did. No, it is. It is. It is a absolutely beautiful song. And that's why it means so much to me. Mm -hmm. um, How are they? The... Go ahead. Go ahead. How are how are the what are the names of your girls by the way and how are they handling this shelter in place school from your computer? Um, like I said, they're thirteen years old. Their uh, their names are Demi, D E M I, and Mina, M I N A. Um, Demi is named after her grandmother. Uh, it was my my mom's nickname, and uh, Mina was a name that we had heard of. I think we saw it driving around L A. on the um, on a you know city bus stop bench you know 
like like three years before we had years before we had it she was born and we were like oh let's write let's make a note of that that's a nice name <laughs> that's great yeah uh, well, we fig- we figured with my last name being Lavapia, we needed a sub of uh, short names for the girls. You know? yep. So, like, they are uh, in eighth grade, and uh, they are not going back to campus. They are uh, doing online courses, and the first couple weeks they liked it better because they could get up an hour later. They wouldn't have to put their uniform on. Mm-hmm. It was a lot more chill. Those classes were shorter, and they didn't have to deal with some, you know, some of the stinky boys at school that they don't want you know (laughs) (laughs) but i think the novelty's worn off a little bit and so uh they they, they they're starting to miss their friends and and thank goodness that we have things like this uh like zoom and facetime and so they can at least see each other and do virtual sleepovers and things like that but that was a big part of their social life you know so yeah and we were supposed to we were supposed to go to france um for, for spring break, but that couldn't ha- didn't happen, of course. I'm so sorry. And today was the day my wife was supposed to go back to Brazil and see her mom, who she hasn't seen in over two years. Today was the actual day. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, everybody. It's just really... I know, but still. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so much has shut down, and then you know, we... Uh, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're doing... It's it's a weird time for for them and and uh, but I gotta say they've been they've adapted pretty well and they've got a uh, exercise routine that they follow and they they're out biking or you know jumping around on the trampoline or something like that every day and you know so and baking so <laughs> yeah raising kids in L A you'd never imagine yourself doing that when you're younger or whatever but is it is it tough raising kids in Los Angeles I think it's easier than if, had we done it in New York. Um, uh, at least, you know, there, there's, you know, the weather's better here and, and you've got, uh, there's a little bit more variety, um, options for schools. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have a, we live right in the middle of LA and we have a yard, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, uh, I feel very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the social aspects of it, no, I think, I mean, I haven't had any issues with, uh, I mean, so far, like, thoughts about like oh it's harder to raise a kid in LA or rather than li- living somewhere else in the suburbs or in the country or something like that yeah. you, know? you still gotta drive your kid everywhere you know yeah you still have to right <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter well, I love that all that from the Beatles thank you for sharing that story I love that here we go this is your song number three That's a band called X, song called Universal Corner. What does it make you think of? Where does it take you back in time? Okay, X is a is a band from LA, and they were a um, punk. Uh, LA, there was an LA punk scene in the late '70s, early '80s in uh, in LA. That was if, if people from the East Coast might not have been as aware of it, but there are bands like Fear and the Germs and the Minutemen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and X was. Uh, was a little different because they were they were uh, sort of like punkabilly. They had a lot. They had uh, uh, it was sort of like punk meets rockabilly. And it takes me back to the '80s when I f- first moved to LA. Or well, you might not know this, but I lived in LA before I moved to New York. I did not know that. Right after I right after I um, graduated from college, I moved out here first to LA. And then um, lived here for about a year and then moved to New York. And that explains why you always make me go down Fountain Boulevard when we're going to a pitch meeting or something. Now <laughs> I know. <laughs> always take Fountain. Always take Fountain. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I uh, um, lived, I had no money and I had no idea where to live and I didn't know anybody. And uh, But I had a job. I was working on a, a feature film and um, as a PA, a production assistant. And um, so I got, a, I got a, uh, a room in an SRO hotel near MacArthur Park. Mm. Oh, no. great neighborhood, man. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, it was a little rough. It's <laughs> still a little MacArthur rough. Park, downtown LA. That's, wow, I never knew this. It was, it, it, I was around the corner from Langer's Deli. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Langer's being one of the, great delis in in los angeles 
I would save up my money and have have a, a meal there like once every two weeks <laughs> just to have something good. But um, anyway, there was a uh, the room. It was just like talk about roach infested and people just screaming at night and like you know you broke the bottle or crash and bang and you know I went one time I woke up I I, I was doing a uh, uh, I woke up at uh, like six a.m. to go on go to set. And these people were screaming at each other. I went to work, came home like 14 hours later. They were still screaming at each other. <laughs> wow. Like, Take a break. No kidding. Uh, and so on the album, Under the Big Black Sun, which is actually, this song is not from it, but uh, under, uh, X's third album, Under the Big Black Sun, there is a picture of a little desk and a window and um, looking out. And you see like the moon and sort of like that sort of thing. And it's just a sort of a lonely, forlorn picture. And it it was exactly the same as the place I lived lived in. I mean, it's, it was it was like it just it captured it. You know, it was like it was like someplace that Bukowski would have lived in. You know, you you know back then. And so X was uh, this to the sound of the '80s in LA to me. They were totally high energy. The lyrics were like uh, Raymond Carver, real life. You know, it was it was not like you know any kind of regular rock and roll. I mean, it was it was like poetry in that sense. And um, their first four albums are just like masterpieces in my did mind. Did you ever see him? Did you get involved in the punk scene when you were in in LA in the '80s? No, I never really got in, involved in music scenes, except when I played music. You know, I played, um, especially not in L.A., but in New York, I played in bands. Um, but uh, um, I've seen X many times. Oh, yeah, okay. I them. yeah, I saw them back in back then, and then I've seen them a couple times since since I have removed back to L.A. How did you, How did you enjoy music? Were you a cassette headphones player, or was it just in the car, or at home in the record player? Oh, uh, that's an interesting question. Well, I I started playing music when I was a kid. When I was like first or second grade, I you know started with the piano lessons, and then I took up guitar and then drum uh, and drums. You can be and your I own one man up. band. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, just give me a pair of cymbals between my knees, and I'll be uh... <laughs> <laughs> put out the hat. So yeah, I um, I wound up becoming, I guess, most proficient at drums and played in a few bands through high school and then um, maybe in college and then and then in 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 New York um, in my twenties I was in, in uh, early thirties I was in a band and that was really fun you know uh, and we we would play out and perform I mean I grew up listening to when you know there was just vinyl and then eventually cassettes was great and that, making you you know mi- you know mixtapes and I mean, they weren't even called mixtapes then. I mean, just like, or just transferring your vi- your your uh, vinyl to a cassette so you could listen to it on a in the car or, or you know on the Walkman it was like that was a big deal, you know. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, yeah, and then now it's now it's everything's just like streaming now. <laughs> What's the first record you ever bought? Remember, on your own music store. I want to say "Goodbye to Love" by the Carpenters. Oh. <laughs> what about in you? Wheeling- yeah, what, yeah. What, I saw the Carpenters way way back when. I mean, they were actually. I mean, a lot of people consider them elevator music and and really like like little white bread music, but they're they're good, you know. And she had a great voice, although my mother, <laughs> she she had such a deep voice. My mother, whatever she would hear be playing the Carpenters, she would go, "Huh, that woman sounds like she's in labor." <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, like don't ruin it don't ruin it so i think that was my first uh, first uh the first one i ever bought what was yours david uh it was hot chocolate uh you sexy thing oh. miracles where you from are you sexy thing yeah. my stepmother would come in and she'd do that little uh, uh pointer finger and thumb motion to Tebby, turn it down <laughs> out of that record out of the house because it was too dirty you know, oh my I god, that's the, hilarious! That was the first forty-five I bought. Wow! God, I collect like two hundred forty forty-fives that I think uh, one day during a move I threw away. I don't Aww. need these. Oh no! I'm an idiot. One hundred percent. The first yeah. tape I ever received uh, was the you Beach. Started with tape. Yeah, uh, I got the Beach Boys' greatest hits. 
That's what I got. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah, because you grew mm-hmm. up in a very... My mother is a hippie. She, she, she's amazing. Not going to wipe. The indie labels now are um, releasing cassettes. They're releasing like new albums on cassettes. Yeah, I did see that. Is it, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really cheap. It's it's like a thing that you you want to play on. A, you want to play the music on one of those little, you know, re- player recorders that we like. You know. You would record stuff on now. They're like these those little tiny things. Best Buy selling boom boxes now. Cassette yeah, really? boom boxes, mm-hmm. the classic ones. I went by the other day. I was like, I want one. I just just because you know, that's amazing. You you guys probably don't remember, but there was something really popular in like the late eighties or early nineties for younger kids called the Talk Boy, which was based off of like the movie Home Alone. So Kevin McCulkey was the face. McCulkin was the face behind this little thing, and it was a tape. And it came with like 15 minutes. That's all you could play on it. But you would, it, and it looked like um like it had a thumb. So you would just kind of, you know, talk into it. But we would hold it up to the radio to the little th- the thumb microphone recorder thing and put it right up to the radio so that we could play our favorite song. Oh, they're going to play our favorite. They're going to play 311 right now. I can't wait. Ah, it's amazing. <laughs> that thing's probably worth a thousand bucks now. Talk, talk boy. boy. I never saw it in my life. Yeah. Oh. Silly, Man. silly. It was like it was like the dark ages compared to what our, my kids have now, you know. I know. I just saw the it, funniest meme where it's like seven-year-olds today have iPads and and buds and computers, and seven-year-olds when I was seven, uh, we sat in front of a fan, an oscillating fan, and we said cuss words. You know, that's what we did. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. oh, I, exactly. <laughs> and therein lies where we are today. For <laughs> This next song uh, is that that's the uh, your, your selection so far has been informative to me because I wasn't familiar with with these but the, the song number four. Here's your song number four. There's a star waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. David Bowie, Starman. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello. Right. 1972. Where does that song take you? Well, it's um, Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, the Spiders from Mars, one of the greatest albums ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is probably, my, well, probably, Across the Universe is probably the most well-known song of the five that I've selected, but this is, this is fairly well-known, especially if you know anything about Bowie. Mm-hmm. Um, Bowie was kind of the, the sound of the seven, you know, when I was growing up and young in the seventies and then the eighties, um, he, uh, he meant a lot to me and, uh, the, the, just his different ever changing personas, you know, from like, from the Ziggy Stardust to the Thin White Duke to, you know, his Berlin period and all that stuff. I mean, it was just really great. And I remember seeing him at the spectrum in Philly and, and it was just, you know, I still I still have images from that concert in my mind, um, but Starman in particular is a. Uh, I mean, it's a beautiful song, and it has that that octave, the octave in the melody, mm-hmm. um, which you don't find that often in popular music. Um, the most famous is probably "Somewhere Over the Rainbow." It that song's actually modeled after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, I always think I always think about Judy Garland. Same, <laughs> same. And what's so it, you know Bowie meant a lot to me growing growing up because um, for all those amazing reasons that you know he was I mean he was a he was a very he was a unique star. Yeah. And I, I know that when he when he passed away a couple of years ago, I, it really affected a lot of my friends. I mean, I was, there was like they were like because they had continued to listen to I, I kind of fallen away not hadn't listened to his later albums. But um, one thing I'm really happy about, with just as with the Beatles, I turned my girls on to, on to Bowie. Wow. Um, they, got, yeah, they got tired of the Beatles and they wanted to hear Branch Out. I was like, well, try to listen to some Bowie. And, I mean, anytime we get in the car, they'll, they'll listen to that album. I mean, they'll, they'll, you know, and it's okay with me because I can't imagine not being able to listen to that album. And um, so, it's again, it's one of those songs that, like, it meant something to me when I was young. And then to be able to share that. And it means something to my kids. It's just like that's the emotional connection for me. 
let's let's talk about when you were young. Like you know, you're growing up in Wheeling, West Virginia. If if you were sort of like the the voiceover that was introducing your you know, real Hollywood story, growing up in Wheeling, West Virginia for Steve was how? What was that like? That town? How did you fit in? Was your family active in the community? Um, yeah, I, well, I'm first generation. My parents were both born overseas. Um, my dad was born in the Philippines, and my mother was born in France and raised in Turkey. Mm. And uh, they met in Wheeling, West Virginia. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, you know, they, I, I, that's where I grew up. I, I had, I never thought of anything like I felt like I never felt like an outsider, but I probably was, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't, wasn't your typical, uh, um, West Virginian. Um, I mean, Wheeling at that time was about probably about 45,000 people. Um, there was, there's, there was still doing a lot of steel in this industry was booming, uh, steel industry and the, the, well, the river, a high river, coal mining, all that stuff. That has since all fallen away. I mean, I mean, it's it's now. I, th I think it's probably maybe twenty seven thousand people now. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I had an, I had a good childhood. I was, uh, you know, I, I really don't have anything to complain about. Um, uh, I had it was different because you know, growing up um, with parents from different countries, there you have this different different influence. You know, you're both you're American. And you know, and you really want all the American stuff, you know, like, mom, can you get me a hostess apple pies when you go to the store, you know? <laughs> but, but then again, you're like eating, you know, uh, you know, Turkish food or, or Filipino food, you know, um, uh, chicken adobo or stuff like that. You know, now this stuff's really hot right now, you know, but, but that's, I, that was just part of it. And like, we ate a lot more rice than I'm sure anybody in our neighborhood did. Um, yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. The, that, you know, the, my younger days were good. And then when I was in fifth grade, um, I went to, I started at a military school, an all boys military school wow. where I went for eight years. From and, fifth uh, I would never military school? Like you slept there, you lived there. No, no, it was in our town. So I, it was a 10 minute drive. So about a third of the kids were boarders, but we, the rest of were uh, just day. Day students. Okay. Yeah. Day students. So, um, yeah, and uh, I just did it. I mean, I didn't think anything of it because that was considered the, one of the better schools in the area. So um, I went there, and I didn't think anything of it. And then as as I got older and started becoming a rebellious teenager, I was like, "Oh no, this is just good. This is stupid." You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have brothers and sisters, or are you only child? Only child. Yeah. Um, just like Jesus. Um, <laughs> exactly. In many ways, yes. Um. Yeah, so that I uh, I, w I would not if I could change anything, I probably would change that. You know, um, not a not to go to a military school and b not to go to an all, all boys school because um, you come out kind of behind socially. You know, really? I think because mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know you know really I mean we knew girls and I I did have a I I think I had a girlfriend at some point. <laughs> but, uh, but you know you just don't see them around you know it's just like harder you know just... that's my whole high school dating career i think we're going out i <laughs> i know i'm into this <laughs> oh my god but like in wow. wheeling growing up this was when you were into bowie while you were a kid in wheeling West yeah Virginia. that's my first list uh got into my one of my friends oh, just, i just hadn't thought about this in a while a friend of mine at this military school um I gone. I, I we've been in the same grade since like first grade, mm -hmm. so um, you know I was I would go over his house and spend the night sometimes, and um, it was like eighth grade or something like that. And he had an older brother, you know, and how it is, it's always the older brother so influential, or the older sister. And this guy was, I mean, in Wheeling, West Virginia, was into like New York Dolls and Queen and all this like really like um, uh, really cool like early punk. Iggy and stuff like that. And so I'm like in eighth grade and I have no idea. I'm like listening to, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash and, you know, um, yeah. and then, you know, I'm listening, then all of a sudden you know, Freddie Mercury comes on and then, then David Johansson and then, <laughs> it's like New York Dolls. I'm like, what the, this is crazy. I liked it. 
and what and so you know it was all kind of glam you know so that the, that's how the bowie thing tied into that that's yeah. how I, yeah. I love that and then you know, yeah so. it's just for some reason in wheeling west virginia a kid in military school is influenced by the new york dolls and and doesn't make sense uh-uh. It, it doesn't make sense at all. It, it, it doesn't, but knowing you, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, I, I, you know what? I, I, I think you asked before something about how do you listen to music, and I think one of the things is I'm really open-minded about music, and I always like I like to listen to lots of different kinds of things. I mean, yeah. I listen to when I'm working, when I'm writing, um, or in an office. I almost always have music on, but it has to be music without words because I can't concentrate. Mm-hmm. It's, it conflicts with you know what I'm trying to work on. Mm-hmm. And so I listened to a lot of classical and I was, I was raised on classical. So I listened to a lot of that, but then um, I've, I've just always been really open and I've never been like, wanted to stay stuck in one thing. I mean, like a lot of people, it's like whatever they heard when they were 13 years old is the, is the music they still want to hear when they're 40. You oh, know? Help me, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, and that's fine for them. But for me, it's like, I really want to experience, I'm always looking for new stuff, you know? Yeah. And because uh, so there might be something that just fits, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm, I'm I'm really wide open to the musical experience. We are two here at Y-Tune Shuffle, and I'm sorry to say this is your song number five. Wake from your sleep, the drying of your tears. Didn't know that I love this song so much, only because it's attached to a film that I was obsessed with when I was in middle oh. school, called Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, done yep. by Baz Luhrmann. And uh, I am so excited that you picked the song, so I can't wait to hear why, where it takes you. Well, we moved back to I moved back to L.A. with my with Monique. Um, who we had not married by then, but it was in um, the mid nineties. And uh, we had both lost our jobs at comedy central. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were like, well, are we going to do this or not? Are we going to stay in New York and work on TV and try to, you know, cause it's, or are we going to go to a bigger pond and try to swim there? And we just said, let's just do it. And let's, let's move to LA. And uh, we drove across country and, you know, I tell you something, if you're not sure if you're going to, uh, if you should marry somebody, uh, drive across country with them because then by the end of that, you'll have your answer either yes or no, <laughs> because if you can put up with somebody and, and have a good time with them for 10 or 11 days on the road, then you, you could probably you know, stick it out for a few years. <laughs> wow. That's so uh, great. You took you 10 days to get across the country. Yeah. Well, we didn't have any jobs, so we weren't working. So we just, uh, Oh yeah. Take your time. Yeah, I didn't want no. We didn't want to rush, you know, because I had never driven driven across country as an adult, mm-hmm. you know. So and neither nor had she. So we said, well, let's just like explore and see see some things, and we and we just experienced some really great stuff. I mean, um, one of the highlights being um, going to uh, Big Big Bend National Park. Yeah, Big Bend. you know it. It's it's um you know on the Rio Grande. Um, Texas, and it is the most isolated park in the continental United States and uh, national park. So it's like three hours from a freeway. And uh, you did the scary thing and went through Texas. <laughs> yeah, well, that took two days. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Uh, That's a trip. But I mean, it was it was it was a, a, a wonderful trip with lots of memories, and I like want to share. You know, do that with my kids before they get too old to to enjoy being with us. You know, so <laughs> yeah. hopefully we can do that soon. Anyway, by the time we got to uh, L.A., um, you know, radio, uh, oh, let's see, it was, um, I guess Radiohead had released OK Computer, mm-hmm. and um, Exit Music for a Film is from, is it from OK Computer or the Benz? I can't even remember, but it's from one of those. And um, that it just remember, reminds me of landing and being in L.A. the second time around, and all that possibility yeah, I mean, Earl, you know, you remember that. I mean, I you, you, you're here, and it's like, oh, I could, I could maybe get that job, or I could get that job, or that, I could do that. And before you know it, I'll be living in a house in the hills, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and um, that that kind of possibility um, always 
some some part of me always thinks of that when I hear a Radiohead song, especially from from that period of time. Um, mm-hmm. Ironically, you know that song is actually kind of melancholy <laughs> because it's it's about Romeo and Juliet, you know, mm-hmm. eloping, right? And uh, um, so, but it, I, I think it's a beautiful song. I always wanted to put it. Um, I had an I had an idea at one point of making a movie about my mother's life. Um, uh, she's she's done some interesting things, but she she was living in Turkey. She was a little girl in Turkey, and she was um, at a beach house or something like that. And she was she t- told me a story many times, and it just stuck with me. But it was during the war, World War Two, and she was looking out um, the the picture window out onto the Bosporus Sea, right, and she saw something floating in the water and she asked her, her mom, what's that? And her mother was like, I don't know. And it kept floating closer and closer to the beach. And she finally, she asked her mother again and her mother said, you know, said, get away from the window. You don't want to be looking at anything. And, uh, you know, a little bit later, there's a commotion on the beach and there's a crowd of people and they had found it was a, um, a uh, Nazi soldier had washed up. Oh my God! On the shore, the Nazis were fighting in um, across the uh, Bosporus in uh, in Greece. Wow! Turkey was not a part of the war, and so this this guy had floated across. And I had always that image. I I wasn't there, but that it's amazing. You know, like your image of your parents going to your head. You know, that image is always stuck in my head. Yeah. And um, I mean, that, I don't know. That would be the way I would open her the movie of her life. <laughs> That's in, that 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 is yeah. a whole other yeah that is an incredible incredible image and story yeah yeah don't want to bring things down but um, anyway we we <laughs> like we like that kind of roller coaster on iTunes Shuffle it doesn't <laughs> it's wonderful it's, it's not always not all giggles huh yeah, <laughs> yeah but this- um, Radiohead I mean you know I'm I'm not the only one who loves Radiohead I mean they're just a, they're they're a great band I've seen them a couple of times. And they put on great shows, and and their music is I seems so like like I like classical, so it seems like there's so much of their classical classical music in their in their writing. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean they they can they can be kind of difficult to listen to sometimes, and and but but those older albums are just amazing. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a song about thing makes you think of promise, you know, and yeah. Yeah. Getting out to LA, it, it is an adventure for everybody. Unlimited possibility. You don't even know yet. <laughs> Do you remember that? Um, I you that Explorer, that Ford Explorer you had. Uh, yeah, it was like I think it was green or something. Uh, yeah, it was it was British Racing Green. Yep, we we worked on a. Um, so I I got a job out here working on um, as a head writer on a show called Buzzkill <laughs> for MTV. And so I had to hire a writer's staff. And the first guy I thought of was Earl. And so I hired him. And I just remember, I, 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 I don't know, we must have done this quite a few times, but I remember driving down the Royal Canyon in that car, and it was a stick. Yeah. I yeah. Sticks. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love a stick shift. My, cur- my current car is a stick. My wife yeah. drives the Chevy. It's an automatic. I, my, I still got that Scion, that Scion XP. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, he was, he, <laughs> Earl was my first hire out here. Wow. <laughs> It's incredible. We and and there's so much more that that we could we could delve into. Um, but this is about you and your music, and 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 it is. It, it, I, I I know you even better now, and that's what I love about this show. And you know, introducing you to Maggie and our and that's what this is all about. The, the yeah. white tunes and the shuffle. But there's still more. There's still right? more. It is time to, to play our favorite game show, band name or bar name. It's time again for the Y-Tune Shuffle original game show. Is it the name of the bar or is it the name of the band? The way this game show works, Steve, is that I'm going to take you to a place that our previous guest suggested we go, which in this case is Portland, Maine. Okay, so here we are in Portland, Maine. I'm saying, Maggie, Steve, let's go to maps because... (laughs) Granite Planet is playing at Maps tonight, and it's going to be great. They got oh. a great beer list and great food. But I could just as easily say, "Hey guys, let's go to Granite Planet and grab a beer," because guess who's playing? Maps is playing at Granite Planet. 
if we're in Portland, Maine, which one is the name of the band and which one is the name of the bar? Because I'm so drunk on local <laughs> microbrews, I can't even remember. Oh, is it man. Maps, the name of the band, or the name of the bar? Or is Granite Planet the name of the bar or the name of the band? Which is which? Ah, uh, that's a tough one. I, I'd say the name of the bar is Granite Planet. The that's name a, of the bar is Granite Planet? That's okay. what I was gonna... Any particular reason why you'd, what, you'd say that? Well, this no. is really weird, but I, I think that, isn't New Hampshire the Granite State? <laughs> well, it, it, it may very well be, Steve. And, and Maine well next to New Hampshire? I don't know. <laughs> Good detective work. Maggie? I was going to say the same thing. Granite Planet is the bar. Maps is the name of the band. Okay, well, here's your answer coming up. If you find yourself at 64A Market Street in Portland, Maine, zip code 04101, telephone number 207-272-9263, you would find yourself at Maps. Oh. Ah, beautiful gastro pub with all local homegrown food and vegetables from the region. And the image on the Google site is this beautiful oak bar and uh, maps of everywhere in the world. And, mm. and as a world traveler and an international person, I'm sure, Steve, you would love to go there. And that means that actually Granite Planet is the name of the band. It's a retro cover band based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Their music is mostly upbeat, danceable rock and pop, ranging from the 60s to today. Country and blues also make the playlist. Granite Planet features something for everyone, both young and old, from Tom Petty to the Aerosmith experience, from Luke Bryan. I don't know Luke Bryan. He's a country singer. (laughs) They they do it all, even the chili peppers. So if you ever (laughs) find yourself up in uh, New Hampshire, or Maine, or that neck of the woods, look for Granite Planet. Make sure you get a beer at MAPS. Thanks for playing, band name or bar name. Even though you didn't guess right, everybody's always a winner. And you get to, Steve, decide where we will go next week with next week's guest, anywhere in the world where I can research the names of bars and the names of bands and put together this phenomenal game show. Interesting. <laughs> uh, I'd say Pittsburgh, PA. Pittsburgh, PA, it shall be. Let me send a text. I grew up about 60 miles outside of Pittsburgh, and that was so that was the big city to me. Pittsburgh, PA. And they, I know they got a lot of bars. Thanks for playing, and that's where we're going. All right. Thinking very hard, Steve, we'd love to hear the story of your very first concert experience. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell uh, gosh, I don't remember. I'll tell you the first one I remember. Yeah, perfect. Because the, the first one I went to, I was... When I was a kid, I was too drunk to remember. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I would. Uh, I went to see Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. What? Yeah. Emerson, you, Lake, you and Palmer? Maggie? Nope. <laughs> Emerson, Lake, and Palmer were a prog rock band, total progressive. They were a trio. And it was like the kind, um, kind of thing, thing. Have you ever heard of the band Yes? Uh-huh. No. Okay, so yes. they're kind of like them because they had the keyboards, had like, 20 different keyboards, wow. the drummer, had, you know, 40 drums and a gong, you know, <laughs> and then, and then they, and then the bass player sang and they played this really complicated music and, and, um, multi-layered stuff. And, um, I was just really like totally geeked into it. You know, who'd you go with? I went with, uh, my friend, Mark Thomas, who is now a uh, politician in the Ohio Valley uh, across the river from Wheeling, West Virginia. Oh, wow. Uh, he's an attorney. Yeah, he and I were really good friends like in that that era. But yeah, we went there. It was it was in Pittsburgh. It was at the Civic Arena where, where I saw a number of concerts because they wouldn't come down to Wheeling because it wasn't a venue. You know, big bands wouldn't come to Wheeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had the biggest country radio station in the, in, in the, in the, uh, the country, WWVA, but I never listened to it because I couldn't stand country music. But uh, I, I listened to... Uh, you know, I was a rock and roll guy, so I went to Civic Green and listened to a lot of stuff. So we, Emerson Lake and Palmer was one of the um, was the first concert I remember. Uh, yeah, that's what I remember. And uh, I was on crutches for that uh, for some reason. I can't remember oh, what I did to myself. Lord, no, yes, imagine being on crutches, like trying to make it up all these steps, and you know, you do a lot of walking at a concert. Yeah, you do. Okay. So the- the movie opens with the guy, the Nazi, washing up on the beach, and then you cut to Pittsburgh Civic Center, and you're on crutches. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like a really bad life, but I don't know. I don't mean that. No, no. <laughs> it's hilarious. What about uh, yeah. uh, what about the last show, last music you experienced live? Oh, um, I saw Massive Attack in. Um, I saw them. Eighties punk scene. 
Jesus, I, it was uh, January, December, just a few months ago. It sound, seems like ages ago, right? Because I mean, concerts don't happen. No, uh, it was it was at the Palladium, yeah, in Hollywood, and um, I've seen them a few times. Uh, I, I was going to put them. They were they were like my song number six. Mm-hmm. I, I had to. Uh, uh, well, at least I can talk a little bit. Uh, they did an album called Mezzanine that they dropped like 20 years ago. So they they were doing the, a tour where they did that album, every song from that album plus a few others. And so, I mean, I had to go. So I went with a couple friends of ours who are parents of our kids, you know, who are friends. And uh, it was a blast. That's great. Good. Yeah. What was the last time you went to? I just saw Cheryl Crow back in December. She was performing at the iHeartRadio Music Theater in Burbank, and she did her entire new album called Threads. So she did like yeah. a couple of her old hits from the 90s, but then just this new, like it was very bluesy, very rock. It was it was amazing. She's so great. So great. When things get back to normal, I, I definitely want to go to see more shows. I mean, the last show I saw was Tom Petty in Pasadena. Wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I got it. I, um... I, I like uh, getting out. It always, you always feel so good after le- hearing live music. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a ma- big band. Mm-mm. Yeah, it, are bands, you know. There are just things that I'm thinking about now that are are worth rein- reinvesting in once we get back to uh, the new the, the new chapter of living in this world. Yeah, is that cool, man? Very cool. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, Steve, thank you so much for being a part of the show. How do we keep up with the work that you're doing? What's your corner of the internet if someone wants to follow along and and uh, stay in touch with what you're up to? I have a uh, limited presence online, which is, That's okay. which is not good marketing myself. Uh, but I did a sh- I just recently did a show for National Geographic called Most Wanted Sharks. I, I was an executive producer, showrunner on that. And that will be released sometime in the summertime during Shark Fest, I think. Shark Week. So, yes. But Shark Fest on National Geographic. That's right. That's, that's right. You're right. Totally. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I did that. That was really fun. And um, that's that's probably the next show you'll that you can find my work. <laughs> Perfect. And I have to be doing a lot of a lot of TV watching and uh, spaced out at the beach, so sharks won't be as much of a danger. Well, thank you, you know, Steve. This has been great. Your Fave Five were amazing. I really enjoyed getting to know you through them. David R. Waterman, best co-host ever, a.k.a. Hollywood Secret Weapon. I've been Maggie Mayfield. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, and share. We're on all the socials at Shuffle. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.